Chapter ninety one of Thomas Wingfold Curate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Thomas Wingfold Curate by George MacDonald. Chapter ninety one The Departure. As Leopold slowly departed, he seemed to his sister to draw along with him all that was precious in her life. She felt herself grow dull and indifferent. It was to no purpose that she upbraided herself with heartlessness. Seemingly heartless, her bosom remained. It was not that her mind was occupied with anything else than her brother, or drew comfort from any other source. Her feelings appeared to be dying with him, who had drawn them forth more than any other. The battle was ending without even the poor pomp and circumstance of torn banners and wailful music. Leopold said very little during the last days. His fits of coughing were more frequent, and in the pauses he had neither strength nor desire to speak. When Helen came to his bedside, he would put out his hand to her, and she would sit down by him and hold it warm in hers. The hand of his sister was the point of the planet from which, like his mount of ascension, the spirit of youth took its departure. When he let that go, he was gone. But he died asleep, as so many do, and fancied, I presume, that he was waking into his old life when he woke into his new one. Wingfold stood on the other side of the bed with Polworth by him, for so the departing had wished it, and although he made no sign, I cannot but think he reaped some content therefrom. While yet he lingered, one of Helen's listless straying glances was arrested by the countenance of the gatekeeper. It was so still and so rapt that she thought he must be seen within the veil, and regarding what things were awaiting her brother on the reverse of the two-sided wonder. But it was not so. Polworth saw no more than she did. He was only standing in the presence of him who is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Whatever lay in that will was the life of whatever came of that will, that is, of every creature, and no to that will. To the face of the Father he lifted in his prayerful thought the heart and mind and body of the youth now passing through the birth of death. I know not, he would have said, had he been questioned concerning his spiritual attitude, how my prayer should for another work anything with the perfect giver. But at least I will not leave my friend behind when I go into the presence of his father and my father. And I believe there is something in it I cannot yet see. Wingfold's anxiety was all for Helen. He could do no more for Leopold, nor did he need more for man and to many of the things that puzzled them most, he was on his way to know more. He would soon be in the heart of what seemed likely to remain a long secret to him. But there was his sister about to be left behind him without his hopes. For her were dreary days at hand, and the curate prayed the God of comfort and consolation to visit her. Mrs. Ramshorn would now and then look in at the noiseless door of the chamber of death, but she rightly felt her presence was not desired, and though ready to help, did not enter. Neither did George, 
not from heartlessness but that he judged it better to leave the priests of falsehood undisturbed in their exercise of their miserable office what did it matter how many comforting lies were told to a dying man what could it matter there was small danger of their foolish prayers and superstitious ceremonies evoking a deity from the well-ordered self-evolved sphericity of interacting law where not a pinhole of failure afforded space out of which he might creep no more could they deprive the poor lad of the bliss of returning into the absolute nothingness whence he had crept to commit a horrible crime against immortal society and creep back again with a heart full of love and remorse and self-abhorrence into the black abyss therefore why should he not let them tell their lies and utter their silly incantations aloof and unharmed he stood safe on the shore all ready to reach the rescuing hand to helen the moment she should turn her eyes to him for the help she knew he had to give her certainly for her sake he would rather she were not left unprotected to such subtle and insinuating influences but with the power of his mind upon her good sense he had no fear of the result not that he expected her to submit at once to the wholesome regimen and plain diet he must prescribe her the soft hand of time must first draw together the edges of the heart's wound but the deadness of helen's feelings the heartlessness because of which she cried out against herself seemed in a vague way by herself unacknowledged yet felt if not caused by yet associated with some subtle radiation from the being of george bascom that very morning when he came into the breakfast-room so quietly that she had not heard him and looking up saw him unexpectedly he seemed for a moment she could not tell why the dull fountain of all the miserable feeling not of loss but of no loss which pressed her heart flat in her bosom the next morning she accused herself of the greatest injustice attributing it to the sickness of the soul which the shadow of death had wrought in her for was not george the only true friend she had ever had if she lost him she must be lonely indeed the feeling lingered notwithstanding and when she thought it dispelled began to gather again immediately at the same time she shrunk from wingfold as hard and unsympathetic true he had been most kind even tender to her brother but to him he had taken fancy having found in him one whom he could work upon and fashion to his own liking poor poldy had never been one of the strongest of men but to her whom he could not model after his own ideas who required a reason for the thing any one would have her believe to her he had shown the rough side of his nature going farther than any gentleman ought even if he was a clergyman in criticizing her conduct he might well take example of her cousin george what a different sort of artillery he had brought to bear upon the outstanding fortress of her convictions so she would say within herself again and again in different forms not knowing how little of conviction there was in the conclusion she seemed to come to how much of old habit and gratitude on the one hand and pride and resentment upon the other and there still was that feeling she could not drive it away it was like trying to disperse a fog with a fan the outside weather although she was far past heeding that 
was in harmony with her soul's weather a dull dark gray fog hung from the sky and without much obscuring the earth altogether hid the sun the air was very cold there was neither joy nor hope anywhere the bushes were leafless and budless the summer gone the spring not worth hoping for because it also would go spring after spring came for nothing but to go again things were so empty and wretched that pain and grief almost fear itself would have been welcome the world around her yes all her life all herself was but the cold dead body of a summer world and leopold was going to be buried with the summer his smiles had all gone with the flowers the weeds of his troubles were going also for they would die with him but he would not know it and be glad any more than she who was left caring for neither summer nor winter joy nor sorrow love nor hate the past nor the future many such thoughts wandered hazily through her mind as she now sat holding the hand of him who was fast sleeping away from her into death her eyes were fixed on the window through which he had entered that terrible night but she saw nothing beyond it he is gone said polworth in a voice that sounded unknown to the ears of helen and as he spoke he kneeled she started up with a cry and looked in her brother's face she had never seen anyone die and yet she saw that he was dead End of chapter 91